So let's talk about um, let's talk about the the documentaries. Uh, the most recent one is Native Bigfoot, right? <clears throat> mm -hmm. I haven't seen it yet, um, but I'm I'm going to. to. Just tell me about that. How did that come about? Um, who's in it? I mean, I'm very excited, especially because of the the old legends. You know what what might be inside. Right. Uh, you did get the link that I'd sent you previously, so that mm -hmm. you could watch the preview version. I did. I just haven't. Okay. Okay. All right. I just, I didn't, I wanted to make sure I hadn't screwed up. So, oh, yes. All right. Um, so basically, when we did Cultured Bigfoot, uh, the very first one, as we were doing interviews, one of the things that constantly came up because the first one was about the Bigfoot community, the culture of Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one thing that continued coming up as we were listening to everybody was that the, the natives know the secret. This has been in native legend and lore for a long time. And so there would be, you know, we would talk to somebody and they would say this, 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 this about Bigfoot. And they would say native first nations. We talked to another one and they would say this, this, this about Bigfoot. And then they would say native and, and, and our, our First Nations, there was always that thumb that overlapped. Every single person said something about the native side of it. And so when we got our first film out, Cultured Bigfoot, and we were greatly surprised because it's the first time we'd ever done anything like this. We were greatly surprised at the reception that it got. And I mean, Andy, in that first year, I'd have to look back and see, but we did like 15 different events. You know, some of them, a couple were small, uh, but, you know, I mean, literally a couple were small and the rest of them were conference type things, you know, that, that you're aware of. Um, and so we started seeing the audience on Amazon. We had put it up on there for rent download growing and we were just overwhelmed by it. Well, literally that first day that it was out and we were seeing the numbers coming in, Amy said, we've got to make three films. We've, we've got to make two more. And she said, one of the things everybody talks about is as small as the Bigfoot community is. And as weird as it seems to people from the outside, you have the woo crowd within it. That's mm -hmm. ostracized within the community. And so she said, we need to address the paranormal aspect and the woo crowd. And she said, we've got to end up, with native Bigfoot. And that was by design because we wanted our skill set to have grown to where that our third one, native Bigfoot, we were hoping it to be the, the best one. Um, and so anyways, that's what we did. We worked towards as soon as the first day that was out on Amazon cultured Bigfoot, we worked towards the third one. And like Amy sat down and wrote like five pages of, of questions and narration uh, the first day that cultured Bigfoot was out. And then we just kind of worked through to that. And once we got paranormal Bigfoot out, the Bigfoot community overwhelmingly said, you're making a mistake. You're going to the woo crowd. You're going to the paranormal and it's going to be awful. And you guys are, well, by chance, we did like nine conferences that next year. And that was mm -hmm. by choice because we were cutting it back some. Um, and it, debuted on Amazon and just went crazy. It blew cultured Bigfoot out of the water. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is we were finding out that the Bigfoot community is about this big. Everybody else that watches our stuff is like this because the, the, the two films that have been up there for, you know, one and two years already now keep getting, even though I put them on prime at this point, just keep getting hundreds of views a day. And we're in the UK and we're in, in the US is the only mm. place we are, you know. And so uh, anyways, when we uh, got down to the native Bigfoot, we uh, we were sure that this was going to be our biggest and best one. And me and her, one of the things you'll see about our stuff is we're not flashy. We're documentary. We're dialogue driven, documentary, informational. We hope that our stuff is uh, used as reference material because we're not the stars of it. We're piecing together the interviews and letting all of these uh, 
Bigfoot researchers and PhDs, uh, boots on the grounds and stuff, we're letting all of them share their information. So we're learning from it. So when people would ask, well, are you a researcher? We're like, well, we love the subject, but we research the researchers. And honestly, the first film was 23 different uh, researchers, whether they be Meldrum or whether they be boots on the ground guy that sold paint by day and, and, you know, worked as a custodian. And then the next one was like nine more interviews. And then this last one was like, uh, I think five interviews. We ended up having close to 40 interviews of very reputable people within uh, three films. Mm -hmm. And uh, we really wanted to see the, on the native side of it, we wanted to get access that people hadn't gotten before. Well, I happened to have Cherokee Indian in me through my great, great, great grandfather, uh, uh -huh. Polk Brown. Uh, and it's one of those, I've not done any tests or anything. We have done enough little paperwork trail to lead it back to know that my great, great, great grandfather, Polk Brown, uh, fought in the civil war on both sides. He didn't oh, like wow. any of the white devils. He actually, <laughs> he was kind of like a, a double agent. He, he fought for the North and he fought for the South. Uh, he had quite a few wives and, uh, he ended up killing a man in his front yard with a rock for cussing him. He went to jail outlived the jail sentence and died at 115. So he's a pretty fascinating character. Well, wow. that being said, uh, short of, you know, I get a, I get a decent tan during the summer and I've got this braid. I don't look very Native American, but I am also, I'm Lancaster. So I'm obviously, I'm English and I have the Dagnans and Blancets. That was the thing. I was uh, going to say, Bill Lancaster yeah. is probably the most yeah. English name I've ever heard. Yes. Yeah. We actually go all the way back to the War of the Roses, Lancasters. Oh, wow. I know that much. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty neat there. So yeah. anyways, uh, but uh, but anyways, I had that going and it was not like I was going, hey, I'm Native American. Mm -hmm. You should talk to me. I was like, look, I'm just letting you know we're you. I want you to watch our first two and see we're not trying to make fun or exploit anybody. We're trying to share information. And we really want to share the information from you folks. And so I started approaching folks and building relationships just like me and you did. <clears throat> and when they got to knowing how we were and what we were doing, they were way more receptive and welcoming and accommodating than we ever imagined. I mean, for goodness gracious, uh, when we finally got it all together, we were kind of wanting to do a north, south, east, west. Mm -hmm. We wanted the natives perspective from across the states, basically. Uh -huh. And so it was by design so that they're not even close together, but their stories are so similar. And here's some differences. And they're not even close together, but their stories are so similar and there's some differences. So we literally, you know, these folks didn't know each other and their groups, their tribes were not anywhere near each other. So when we... Uh, said about doing it, um, I had found out a few things that were particularly uh, respectful to do as you're talking to these folks and as you're actually to the point of interviewing. And there were some things that I was making sure to do that were just like when you go to Japan, there's a culture difference. Well, yeah. there's a culture difference within the reservation too. When in and Rome. so I was... I was finding out things from other Native Americans who knew me and liked me and said, hey, you need to do this and they will respect you more. Well, I did that. And so we went on that trip. Uh, it was approximately 7,500 7, miles Wow! in 15 days. Me and my wife, our dog and our camper behind us and uh, 23 states and Ontario, Canada. And we went to Ontario, Canada first, and we were at the Kosheshing uh, Nation, uh, the Ojibwe, uh, the Kosheshing Tribal uh, Band Office. And uh, not only did we get to interview uh, Alan Yerksa Sr., uh, but we got to meet the chief, uh, and he gave us permission to film the last night of the powwow while we were up there, which is wow. where you'll see some of the footage of the powwow, which was just I felt really odd because I was, you know, basically a white man 
and I was doing this filming and I didn't want to be disrespectful at all, except that the two key people, the chief and Alan were the ones that said, it is fine. They're good. And it was amazing. You honestly felt like you were somewhere you should not be. And we were just getting access to all kinds of stuff. And that's just the way it kind of flowed. We went to uh, Yakima and uh, filmed a, a, Mel Scahan uh, interview and his aunt, uh, uh, Atwice uh, Kamiasen, uh Red Thunder, and she was great. She spoke the language and everything, very educated lady, not, not to diminish any of them, but she really had a lot of neat insight. And then I actually got to go out on the reservation uh, with Mel and film in places that you just typically don't get mm-hmm. to go. Uh, got to, you know, stand across from Mount Adams, a 12,227-foot mountain uh, extinct volcano. Well, actually, I think it's technically not extinct, dormant, I guess is the best thing. And got to put my drone up and stuff and film out there and do the interviews. And and then we went on down to uh, Tahlequah, Oklahoma, to uh, the uh, Cherokee Heritage Center Museum and Dr. Charles Gord, who was the uh, uh, PhD and the uh, executive director of the museum, I'd reached out to him and come to find out he was so interested that we were wanting to talk to him about Bigfoot because one of the things that he had studied uh, back in college was uh, Lakota Indians and some of their stories about Bigfoot. And so he was fascinated with the subject. He let us, you know, have the run of the grounds down there. And then we got to speak with uh, uh, a Katua Cherokee, uh, Chuji Kingfisher, who's a, like a national treasure storyteller within uh-huh. the Cherokee Nation. He just was honored as being a national treasure and storyteller. And Paul Buckner, uh, who is now the director of the Cherokee Heritage Museum. He's an author also, has a couple books, uh, fictional books out about uh, Native Bigfoot. And then from there, we went down to uh, Beeville, Texas, to meet uh, 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 Baltimore Galvan Jr., uh, who is an Apache. And we were out in the scrub brush desert, 102 degrees, and he had built an authentic Wikiput and we filmed his interview out there and uh, just the, the, the information and stuff and, and, and the landscape and stuff. It was just amazing. But, uh, but I hope that kind of answers what you were talking. Or you asked I mean, I, 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 if I'm somewhat silent, uh, Bill, it's because it's fascinating. It's very, very fascinating. Now I've, I'm currently writing beasts of North America which is geographical North America, even includes Greenland. And, um, you know, what astonishes me about the place is that it, it appears to be so different. And this was also something I noticed on my, my short trip there in 2018. It appeared to be so very different to how I'd expected to be on the television, you know, via documentaries and things that we all know and see. Now, you know, the United States is a very very well televised country mm-hmm. so everybody around the world has some sort of concept of what they think it's like in the united states and the first nations people they really fascinated me one because obviously i realize similarly to my own country that there are indigenous uh, peoples who've been here longer than the um the i suppose the most dominant uh, culture mm-hmm. And in our nation, that would be the different Celts. So I suppose people might think of Britain, they might think of Scotland and England or Scotland mm-hmm. and Ireland England, or Wales, but they wouldn't mm-hmm. think of the Manx and the Cornish still existing amongst those mm-hmm. people. Um, and for the people like the Ojibwe or the Lakota or the Cherokees, um, it, I've always wanted to know, you know what their perspective is. It, do they, do, do the modern persons, you know, the young people, do they think of these things still as some sort of spiritual animal or is there more of a, a modern recognition of uh, a creature existing within their their reservations or their, their landscape that they think is just a, an unknown zoological phenomena? Um, 
Well, uh, kind of a couple answers to that. First of all, the one thing that worries every one of them that we talked about in each different tribe is that the young people just aren't as interested in it as mm-hmm. as the the older people are. And they're afraid that besides a lot of them aren't even learning their language and carrying mm-hmm. it on, they're not learning a lot of their stories. That was one of the things that stuck through the whole thing. But the biggest thing that stuck through is that uh, – they definitely believe it is a very biological thing, but mm-hmm. they definitely believe it walks in both worlds. It's uh-huh. a spirit. What was that? Oh, sorry. My <laughs> wife must be coming home. I just heard the garage door opening uh, underneath okay. me. <laughs> I didn't know what's... Anyways, um, but uh, they definitely believe that they walk in both worlds. They, they, are, they are a spiritual type being. Uh, A lot of folks want to say paranormal. Well, paranormal is just anything outside of the norm. These are supernatural beings as far as Mm -hmm. they're concerned, but they can also be a flesh and blood. Uh And that's why there are actually encounters, physical encounters, physical footprints. And according to most of them, typically when you find footprints and stuff like that, it's only because they want you to find it. It's uh-huh. never a mistake was kind of a thing. It's because they okay. want you to find it. That's very interesting. And I, that seems to be, um, I wonder in some cases, you know, could this be, when footprints are found, could this sometimes just be the bravado of um, you know, young, boisterous males mm-hmm. to not cover their tracks to say, I'm here and you know, deal with it? Or um, is that their perspective as well? Or do they think they want you to find their footprints for some other more spiritual purpose to mm-hmm. show that they're still a part of the land? And what's mm-hmm. the differentiation? Do they think it's, it's more to do with behavior that the creature has or domination of an area? Or is it more communication with people on the reservation? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think the, the most of the time it was more of a, communication thing it was definitely uh what was coming across was it was letting them know they were there uh it was still uh either trying to teach them something good behavior bad behavior don't go here or you're welcome here uh it was definitely uh uh it wasn't just a a by chance kind of thing it seemed Mm -hmm. like most time it was for if you watch the film uh, Mel Skahan we finished up with a very fascinating story at the end and it's almost 10 minutes because I cut it down from 25 to 10 minutes wow. but it was too fascinating to cut it anymore uh, you'll probably hear my dog in the background okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. He's, saying, he's saying hi to mom that's all uh, right but uh but anyways uh Mel has uh, tells a story in there about years ago finding some hair while he was out uh, doing his job for the Yakima Nation. He's in kind of land and resources and forestry. And so what he does is him and another guy will go out for days at a time camping out and they will be kind of gridding areas uh, and they'll put like this grid can be used for uh, timber cutting next year and this one can and this one needs to be seeded and planted and so he was one of those that they would do that kind of earth renewal kind of stuff look we need to make money so we're going to rent this out or lease it out for Mm -hmm. timber but we also need to replenish it so anyways he was in the woods a lot and just to him it was just a just a matter of fact, these things existed. There was no question in his mind, period, and the, and the people that were with him. When I met him, he took me into his office, and, and Andy, there was a uh, a map of the Yakima Reservation that was easily as big as that wall behind you, mm-hmm. and he had just spots where there were all these interactions and uh, eyewitness accounts and whatnot. It was amazing. Well, Anyways, while he was out one time, he found some hair, uh, and he knew it wasn't a cow that had gotten loose. It wasn't a bear. It wasn't a mountain lion, none of this stuff. He said, I, I knew what it was, and he said, so I just took it and stuck it in an envelope and put it at my desk. Well, the people there were like, you need to send this off. 
and, and get this analyzed and see what it is. And he says, I don't need to do it. Well, fast forward. It's been a couple years. He got the hair. He thinks he knows what it is. It's in his desk and everything. Well, they ended up having go having to go basically to a house cleansing within the reservation. Someone had some bad spirits in the house. And so they had actually called in a shaman from down the from what I gather down central United States around Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And he had come up to do a house cleansing and he was part of it. Uh, Mel was. And during the ceremony, they, uh, they cut all the power off and everything. Well, basically he said that the shaman said, you're going to have folks. They were inviting the spirits in to get this bad spirit out. And he said, you're going to have interactions with folks you may or may not know and whatnot. So be prepared for this. Well, if you watch the film, I won't give a ton of detail, but if you watch the film, he ends up having an interaction with a Sasquatch. And he's like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Well, at the end of it, the shaman ends up coming up to him and he says, and you had something that shouldn't have been here. Well, he pulls him aside away from everybody outside. And he says, listen, you you had a Sasquatch. Uh, uh, that I'm trying to thank the name for it. Uh, 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 Shukalu, I, I, it, it's escaped me right now. I should have looked at my notes, but the name uh, that they, uh, Tutasia, that's what they call it, Tutasia. Uh-huh. That's, uh, that's the Yakima name for it. Uh, you had a Tutasia come in and uh, visit you, and it shouldn't be here. And the reason it did is because you have something that it wants and you shouldn't have. And uh-huh. if you don't replace this, he's going to make sure to bother your family and your family's family from here on out. And he said, I'm going to tell you what you need to do to take this back and, and the ritual you need to do and everything. And if you do this, then everything will be fine. And this will be your one pass. But if you don't, then you're going to have some issues. And so basically he ended up going back out to the, the, the location where he had found it. And, and he had, uh, you know, done the, done the ritual and everything. And uh, he basically made it right with him. And so that was one of those of a Sasquatch, Tutathea, Bigfoot, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that was one of those having an interaction of telling you you did something right or you did something wrong. But he said from that point forward, he could tell when they were around and everything and they knew him and they respected him. Now, you, you would look at some people just like they're nuts when they're telling mm. you this stuff. But when this is coming from a college-educated guy who works within the government of his tribe and organization, mm. and he does a job like this, and he's telling you this, knowing that you could very easily make fun of him and, and think that he's not telling the truth, um, it makes it all that more credible and believable. And and trust me, if you watch that, if you watch the film and watch the end there, the story is absolutely fascinating. It's, I, I just thought of myself today, actually, um, before we came on. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. I've desperately been trying to see that. Now, it, I advise everybody listening, by the way, to definitely see all your films because they're amazing. And this one we'll, we'll watch together um, because it, it, it's a must, must have. I'm fascinated by the, by this perspective with the the First Nations people, and it it reminds me like from a perspective like somebody like myself, and I'm a very religious person actually, and I studied religion for my degree, and um, I'm married to somebody from a different religion to me, and you get these different perspectives, and it's actually it's a great way to to really have an objective perspective of your own belief when you encounter the belief of somebody else. Especially, like you say, a professor or somebody in a very professional capacity that has seemingly illogical beliefs. Now, by illogical, we mean non-scientific, still faith-based. Yeah, not not normal. Yeah, not normal. And yet, you know, I I wouldn't have any qualms with telling you that I believe, you know, that a Jewish man died two thousand and twenty years ago, and because of that, you know, (laughs) I believe in God and follow Him. Um, That sounds quite extraordinary to Mm -hmm. anybody really if you read the book and you've got no interest Mm -hmm. or no um available uh interaction with that religion you'd think it was very strange Mm -hmm. similarly to me this does but i often wonder like many religious and um 
beliefs and, and philosophies, does this eventually and essentially hinder you know, scientific discovery? And I think yes, because if somebody of that standing in that community is going to put hair back and not hand in evidence or not examine it or, or take it further forward himself, then mm -hmm. that's clearly going to be the, you know, the status quo with the rest of the nation or the rest of the culture. And perhaps there's evidence found all the time that we just don't get to, to see. Yeah, there's a, there's certainly a lot that we were not, privy to that they wouldn't go into even during the interview and I left it in part of it with uh, uh, at twice uh, where she says and there's some other stories which I'm not going to be able to share at this time and there's mm -hmm. basically stories that you have to be a part of their culture you have mm -hmm. to be a native or a first nation to be able to to be able to hear the other part of the stories and everything. And as much as I wanted, I got some absolutely fascinating stuff. Cause trust me, when we, the next thing that we're doing is doing our Bigfoot archives and, mm -hmm. and what that is, is going to be an episodic thing. And it's going to be the extended interviews from all three of our films because we had to cut so much stuff out. And especially when it comes to the native American part, there's some absolutely wild stuff that didn't get to make it in that will just people will find fascinating in there. That sounds amazing. It really because does. it is. It's it's one of those things. Just like you said, when they put themselves out there, and and that's why it makes someone like Dr. Jeff Meldrum so much more believable. He's still a working professor with tenure at mm -hmm. Idaho State University. You know. And he's able to do what he does with these conferences and these researchers uh, and uh, and still maintain credibility. And that's, you know, not not easy to do because he even I had him ask I asked him directly in the first film about mm -hmm. the fact that when they were down in Phoenix at that uh, uh, conference down there for the university and they went out into the hills looking for signs of, you know, Sasquatch and Bigfoot. And he came under fire from, you know, local government and school officials down there for doing that. And uh, and he speaks to stuff like that where they have everything to lose. But that's what makes it so much more credible when yeah. you find someone within the nation and they actually have a job within the government. They actually have, you know, not that anyone without a college education is even any lesser, but these no. folks, you know, have degrees and stuff. And so they're typically going to be a lot more of a critical thinker than than the regular person off the street, you know, and they're, they're also going to, yeah. yeah. And they're also they're going to think about, they're also going to think about what am I going to sound like if I say this too? Mm -hmm. So they're, you know, they know the risk when they put this out here. The risk seems very, very high. Now I remember speaking to him about that, Jeff Meldrum and him saying, well, you know, fortunately I had tenure when I started down this road already mm -hmm. had tenure. If I hadn't, perhaps things would have gone a different way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but this man is an anthropologist, you know, and, and foot morphology as well. Is, is one, it's his speciality. So when he right. found those footprints originally when he was hiking, it was it in Washington State? I don't remember. Uh, it was the Blue Mountain. In, mm, I think okay. it was. Yeah, the Blue Mountains. Yeah, he found like a line of like 15 print. or yeah. Yeah, 15, something like that, about 15 prints or whatever. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, and, and it was one of those, yeah, he wasn't expecting to find that either and, and found it, you know. A guy like that finds it, that's his speciality to be there, mm -hmm. to know what a human footprint looks like and to see bipedal prints and realize that they're not human, they're very large. I'm sure, that, that's, um, I always call that, that's the, um, when somebody has a real experience, they can't unsee what they've seen yeah. and it affects affects them to the point where even when uh, life and liberty or normally life and financial prosperity mm -hmm. is at risk, they can't deny what they know. Mm -hmm. It's a life-changing experience. They, they can't say, well, unfortunately, I, I, I've changed my mind. It doesn't exist. They say, well, no, I've had the experience. This has happened to me, and there's still something I can't explain. I watched the, the Todd Standing thing he did, the um, Discovering mm -hmm. Bigfoot. It was yeah. very interesting, um, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, and then again, taking another risk in the Bigfoot community mm. to do a documentary with somebody who's so um, controversial yeah. within that yeah. community. Um, yeah, I, 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 want, I want so much to believe that he 
has invested the time in the bush to get that fantastic footage. But there's just so much that says uh, he's not being entirely honest. It's one of those things you you just don't know. And the best description I get is him, like so many others, they've had a real encounter and experience and they want it so bad that they finally get to the point they're willing to make another encounter experience mm. happen. And I don't know, is that what's going on or what? I want to believe those fascinating faces. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's what one really looks like. I want to believe it so bad. And in the beginning, uh, before we started doing filming and interviewing and everything and deciding we were going to do even mm-hmm. a Bigfoot documentaries, uh, I had watched his stuff on uh, Sylvanic.com, his yeah. website and everything, and followed him. And uh, I was a hook, line, and sinker. I thought, yeah. well, he got Meldrum and he got Bendernagel and all these folks to go. And none of them would discount it. You know, no. they were very cautious <laughs> when you would ask them about it. I never got yeah. to speak with Bendernagel, but, so but Meldrum. Yeah. They were very cautious and guarded. They didn't want to totally discount what had happened while they were with him, uh, but they didn't want to, I guess, put themselves totally in his camp either. Yeah. And so that's what makes it so uh, interesting. I, I want to believe what he's got, but I just, well, there's, what you know. What they said to me about him is that, um, is that he's not likable. And somebody said, look, he's definitely, mm-hmm. um, I won't say who said it, but he's definitely a great outdoorsman definitely knows what he's talking about as far as the wilderness is concerned. Um, and they've had experiences out there with him, but said, you know, he just isn't, it doesn't come across well. He's not a likable person. Uh, I've heard um, the same thing, yeah. And I think some people do suffer from that sometimes, um, where their, their personality seems to project something out. Now, I often wonder, you know, if you've been called a liar for 10 years nonstop, and then you make a big documentary, could every interaction you have with everybody almost be, you know, an attempt to um, uh, to regain your credibility or to, or to portray your honesty? You know, it's almost as if you say, uh, this really happened to me, honestly. The word honestly almost invalidates it straight away, right? <laughs> because honest people right. don't say honestly. But right. there's something right. in it when you've been accused for long enough. Now, me and a friend, we used to go out here in the UK and... Um, there's a little chat, and I used to just do a little bit of filming on the mobile phone when we were walking around. We had this little chat, and uh, I named it The Perils of Being Todd Standing. So the joke we used to have is, when we're going out looking for British Bigfoot, for example, is let's hope to God we don't find anything, especially footage, because then we're finished. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There you yeah. go. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah, yeah. it is. Because, yeah. God forbid, some guys who are interested in Bigfoot should capture some evidence. Yeah. I mean, yeah. clearly they've got some, uh, you know, they've got some stake in finding that footage. Now, oh. personally, when I look, take witness sightings, I, I love the antagonistic witness best. The one that says, oh, it was like a tall monkey with a man's face and two legs. And they don't even know the name Bigfoot. And oh, I've never thought of anything like this before. And it really shocked me. Uh-huh. Awesome. When it comes yeah. to somebody really into Bigfoot that sees one, it goes out all the time. I realize from my own perspective <clears throat> that I have to, I have to really validate whether this person is seeing what right. they want to see or whether they right. had the experience they were looking for. Mm-hmm. But why? It's such yeah. a strange situation to be in. Yeah. Well, we have been officially, while we've been filming these, uh, I guess you could say we officially have been squatching uh, three different times out in the woods where there were Bigfoot sightings and looking for evidence and whatnot. And I have taken my camera and my uh, sound equipment and stuff. And I told my wife, I said, you know, it'd be great if we could catch something because I'm not using a a camera phone. I've got, you know, my 1080 or my 4k camera here and some good sound and everything. Um, And it was one of those deals where, if you actually catch something and you could imagine what I should be able to catch with my nice Mm -hmm. camera, but nobody else can do it. But you can imagine, you know, I can shoot stuff that looks sharp on there. uh, But when you're trying to find something like that, and I'm just going to give you an example, we happened to be, I had my camera, I was out with a group 
filming an episode of what I used to uh, have up. I had about 10 episodes up called uh, uh, Bigfoot BS with Bill and Sam. And it was basically while I was getting ready to film uh, Cultured Bigfoot, it was me honing my skills at filming and editing. And so I would put them up. They'd be anywhere from seven minutes to 14 minutes long on, on YouTube. And I pull them down. Uh, I can share, like share the, the private links with you if you want to watch them oh, because they were actually kind of neat. And I will, I'll actually unlock those and share a private link for you to check them out. But anyways, um, what I'm getting at is my wife was with me too. And there were, I'm thinking approximately five or six people with us that were all a part of this group. And we're going back through these woods to an area that had had a sighting. Uh, Finding Bigfoot had actually been there during season two in their uh, episode, Virginia's for Bigfoot Lovers. It was the area where Bobo puts donuts on a tree and this guy had seen one. And they had the Gum Hill Wood Booger. By the way, the Gum Hill Wood Booger that they talked about is like 15 minutes from where I'm sitting right now, by the way, that's the place we used to go hiking a lot. But anyways, um, so we're back there in this area where uh, I had interviewed a guy previously, a deacon in a church, no less, and his brother were hunting and they had had a Bigfoot encounter back there. So we were going towards that area, a place of an own Bigfoot encounter we were also parked at the road where Finding Bigfoot had set their little trailer, production trailer up. So we were in a hot spot area and we're going back through there and I've got my camera equipment and I literally have it on the whole time because I've got enough battery. I've got enough card and I've just got it kind of on a little steady cam kind of thing rig. Mm. And we ended up finding this uh, footprint at this little, not really a creek, but kind of a wash that run across the trail like a heavy rain. It'll look like a little creek. And it was one of those, you know, it looked like a human barefoot footprint, but it was only, you know, about the size of a woman's foot or whatever. And everybody gets all excited. Well, you know, a couple of the very reasonable skeptical guys put out, this is a perfect example of a bear stepping in its own tracks. That's Mm -hmm. a bear print. And it was a perfect example, but you could see where if you were wanting to see that and you wanted it to be that, it could be nothing else but, well, Keep in mind, I'm filming that. And as we're filming that, all of a sudden, one of them says, hey, something just stepped behind that tree straight ahead of us. And I pulled the camera up that quick and got auto zoom and all that stuff like that. Could not get anything. Well, what it boiled down to is we surmised it was the black bear because there's Mm. black bears in our area. And it had went like behind that tree. And when we got up through there, we could see where it probably was, you know, black bear in the leaves and stuff like that. But I had a camera that's capable of shooting 1080 HD, had a uh, telescoping microphone, had it running, and I still could not catch a black bear going behind a tree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. there you go. That's just, it's, well, it's one of those things. Happens all the time and people don't talk about this very much so when people talk about footage and evidence and why didn't you get your camera out there's always the old um the old example of have you ever seen a car crash yeah have you ever yeah. caught one on camera as yeah. it happened yeah. i mean that yeah. is as it starts to happen have you ever whipped yeah. out your camera mm-hmm. and captured it you haven't and i uh, strange i, I was a uh, yeah yeah. I, I was going to say that just to, and I'll finish up with you talk there oh, with this, okay. but to, to speak to that same thing, I was at a conference here locally down in Kingsport and you always have the skeptic that try and get you on everything. And there was a man and his daughter and he had said, well, if you've got all this equipment and everything, why can't you get a good picture of them? And why can't anybody else get a good picture? And so I said, all right, let me ask you something. Do you have your cell phone on you? Yep. Does it have a camera phone? Yep. I said, all right, you and your daughter come up here. He said, okay. And he stood beside me at the podium. And I said, all right, now I'm going to tell your daughter to start walking that way in just a minute. I'm going to tell you when she is. I want you to go ahead and get your camera phone ready and everything. You know what you got to do, your shortcuts to get it ready and everything. And when I tell you, Walk, I want you to get a good picture of her. And he goes, okay. And I said, all right, you, you got everything ready? He goes, yeah, I go, put your camera in your pocket, your phone in your pocket. He puts it in his pocket. 
And I say walk. She goes to walking. He couldn't even catch her in frame because she had already walked to the other side of the room. And I said, that right there is exactly why. I told you you were going to take a picture of your daughter, and I was going to tell you to do it when she started walking, and you still couldn't get a picture of her. So why are you going to argue about someone can't get a good picture of this? And the people in the room were like, wow, that's that's like, a, you know, they thought it was just an ingenious, you know, that's a perfectly good explanation because it's just not that simple. I, I think that's a, a perfect example. Um, all I was going to say, actually, was that I was walking past the, the dock here near the house. I lived near the River Thames, and um, I had my camera on. I was actually filming some grebes. I think they were grebes, crested grebes, in the dock. And I, they're not supposed to be in this part of the country or in this country at all, but they are in this country. Wells catfish. I saw what I thought was the head of a Wells catfish breaching just there. You know, I was filming here. It was just there, and it was up for maybe a second or two. I don't know. Sometimes they come up and they, they gulp here, don't they? They're not yeah, supposed yeah. to be here. So it would be an unusual sighting. And I turned the phone to capture it, and it was gone. And it was yeah. right there. My phone was running. All I had to do yeah. was do this yeah. and capture yeah. it, and I yeah. missed it. Yeah. And that's yeah. stuff like that happens all the time, um, as, as well as losing animals that know their environment in the bush. We also have, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're on the edge of Surrey here, only outside of London, but we're still pretty close. There's trees and, you know, um, wooded areas. And I was in a, a, a quite a sort of a, a local town. It's quite, um, it's quite suburban. And I noticed a deer just on the edge of, of a, a small bit of woodland, really tiny, not even a, an acre. I thought, oh, I'll get this on camera. And I pulled my camera out and it walked into the, the bush. I walked down the path to see it. I thought, oh, I'll get a close up. It was gone. Yeah. It was gone in one second. And then yeah. I, sure, surely I could find a deer, a small deer yeah. in this less than an acre of woodland. It wasn't thick woodland. It wasn't deep. It wasn't. Um, there wasn't a lot of foliage, and I just thought, this is, animals are adept at hiding in their own environments. And something like a, a Sasquatch, I don't think you're ever going to find it unless, yeah. like the, the Native Americans say, unless it yeah. wants to be found. Yeah. Well, and see, that's the thing, is it's unless it wants to be found. And if you just take a minute to give some credence to them talking about they walk in our world and they walk in theirs, and people want to give people like Ron Moorhead and them, you know, for having his quantum theory and parallel universe stuff and all this, you know. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. If they have that capability, it would make a whole lot less of us seem like idiots because they literally are able to just make themselves disappear or literally able to make it to where you can't see them. They affect you somehow, you know. And so if you... You'll just believe it for a minute. The paranormal supernatural stuff makes it a lot more plausible mm -hmm. that we can't find these because of that. Because if they are just a regular, you know, a type of a bear or a type of a primate, we're going to be able to find them. We're going to find them on game cams and stuff like that. And so it's one of those things. The more we got into this, I honestly... I, I mean, I've been into it since, you know, Mr. Spock was on in search of, you know, talking about Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster and all that. I'm with you, Andy. Loch Ness Monster, UFOs, Bigfoot. That was my thing. All of that stuff yeah, there, especially Loch Ness Monster. So that was why I was fascinated with your stuff. But anyways, um, but uh, I, I just lost my train of thought there, too. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you, you're basically talking about uh, the concept of it makes it a lot easier for us to believe oh, yeah. that they can be paranormal because we can't find them. I always fall on the other side, which is sometimes I think the paranormal aspect of things is our way of justifying our inability to find this very clever animal and say mm -hmm. it's got to be paranormal because it seemed to disappear. But I think when when a creature knows it's like, my little deer that that ran away uh, um creature knows its environment well enough it, it knows how to blend and to, to hide and and to seemingly mm -hmm. disappear maybe i could be wrong 
um, I always said that I like to start on on the point, even with things like Dogman, that it's a real creature. Uh, although we might not have a you know um, uh, a record in archaeology to justify its existence, doesn't mean it's not here with us. You know, it just means that we haven't really figured out all the aspects yet. And if at the end of all of that, we figure out it's some sort of paranormal dimension jumping. Um, well, uh, I can I can just go ahead clear it up. <laughs> yeah, I can go ahead and clear it up. Uh, Dogman is Anubis from ancient Egypt. That's just I can clear that one up. There you go. I mean, well, yes. I mean, that's um, but then a lot of religions and um, beliefs have have these dog-headed mm -hmm. creatures, and mm -hmm. even in um you know, Jewish tradition and and well, Christian tradition too, by by default, many demonic fallen angels have animal-like characteristics, mm -hmm. um, and that's mm -hmm. you know that's written right in the Bible. So some people more on the religious side would justify that kind of creature by some sort of manifestation uh, of one of those um, demons or fallen angels or whatever you will. You know, mm -hmm. I'm always trying to tell people that I, I completely realize that I'm subject to, you know, subject to the the parameters of my belief system. I know that my, my view of everything is affected by it. Even when I try not to be, it's going to be affected mm -hmm. by it. And I just find it easier to just come out with that and just sort of make a declaration at the beginning that that's that's where I'm coming yeah. from. And then at least when people do find fault with it, they'll know it's because that's that's Andy's, you know, um, well, life philosophy, etc. That's where I was going when I lost my train of thought was when we had gotten into this in the community side of it and 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 the filming side of it and everything i really wanted it to just be an undiscovered species uh neither man nor ape just an undiscovered species and the further we got into this i just i don't think it is i think there is truly especially after uh fooling with the paranormal bigfoot side and the native american side i just think there truly is something to it and a lot of them will still just absolutely laugh at you for saying that but I'm talking about getting information from from you know respectable researchers in this field and stories from from people that have everything to lose and nothing to gain. You know, none of these folks were making you know money off being in our documentaries. No, it was their own time, you know, kind of thing. You know, um, but it's just one of those. The the further we've gotten into it, uh, I used to be excited going in the woods. Uh, and I'm, I'm a, I used to be a deer hunter. And so I know exactly what you're talking about. The deer just like disappearing. Uh, that was forever frustrating. But now when we get a chance to go in the woods, uh, I'm, I'm not thinking of what is that sound? Is it a deer? Is it a squirrel? Is it a bird? Now I'm thinking about, you know, is it something else out there? Because there's been encounters in our area within just a few miles of, you know, we literally live in between the mountains. If you if you look up Bristol, Virginia and just do a Google Earth and start pulling back, we're just nothing but mountains and hills around us. Uh, it's Like I said, it's one of those things. I'd love it to be just nothing but an undiscovered species, but I just, I just don't think it is anymore. I think there's something to it. It's definitely flesh and blood, but I think there's definitely a, you know, um, a spiritual side to it. Uh, you know, <clears throat> some folks want to say, you know, interdimensional portals, whatever you want to say. Uh, they're able to come and go as they please, it would seem mm -hmm. like. Um, and uh, not just by uh, adaptive camouflage like a predator or something. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is just, again, it's not me being any kind of an expert on the subject. It's from listening to all of these folks we've talked reading and watching documentaries and, and videos and everything and there's just a there's absolutely something to it it's now it's one of those i don't know if i want to run into one or find mm. one because the spiritual side of me is, as you as you talked about too I, i'm an orthodox christian and so the, uh, the spiritual side of me says there's a lot of possibility of stuff that can be out there including a creature like this right there and so mm. 
am I supposed to continue looking for it or am I better off just kind of leaving that alone? Yeah, I thought about it a lot. I thought about that concept a lot uh, from my experience and from my uh, religious standpoint. And I just thought, well, I was criticized in the, the early days of coming out by a lot of the British guys for being uh, a creationist. And I pointed out to them really that um, I'm not a creationist cryptozoologist. I'm the cryptozoologist that's also a creationist by faith, you know, by belief. Yeah. But right. it's, it's, I'm not out there proving creation, so to speak. I've got anything okay. against that, but I'm not, you know, a Kent Hovind or a Don Patton or one of those guys. I'm just a religious guy who loves cryptozoology. That's kind that's, of where, yeah, that's, where I'm that's at. That's where we are, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, um, that's us, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm fully prepared to admit, and I even write about it in the book, that this particular slant that I have is against my best efforts going to, you know, going to form some of my opinions on what I'm looking at. It's just, uh, it's impossible to avoid, just impossible. So, you know, with that in mind, you know, if we just stick to the stories, just stick to reports, especially, I was looking for evidence for so long and I realized now that I actually stopped calling it cryptozoology. I started calling it modern folklore or perspective cryptozoology. Oh, perspective zoology, mm -hmm. sorry, um, because I thought mm -hmm. the evidence seems to be a bit of a wild goose chase, essentially. If you stay with the credible reports, you know, you build up a picture. You should still look for evidence, but the reports especially is really what we have. So that's where it's at. You know, that's the, what you're doing, documenting the search, documenting the opinions and beliefs and philosophies about what it might be. That's the most important mm -hmm. thing. It's almost... Um, yeah, you're it's building a profile. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I really like it. I love the, the work that you guys are doing, by the way. I really love it. And um, and also, thank, thank you. You know, we definitely, we definitely hit it off on that first day, even though we were all sort of um, assigned to our seats in the, um, <laughs> yeah. in the, the conference. And again, I really appreciate those guys putting me on. They do, they do a great conference. You know, regardless of uh, my, my particular gripes. But um, yeah. It's also nice to get a few um, riders and um, you know to feel special because you've given your time and you know your your, your product over to people to to make their their venue work for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, that's uh, one of the things uh, we have made as far as speaking to the community. We have made a ton yourself included and i mean goodness sakes you're in the uk and here we are in the u.s uh but still maintain a friendship we have made a lot of really good friends but uh, there has just been an absolute horrible amount of uh, just mean people that's all oh, you yeah. can say <laughs> mean to each other mean to us uh we we've had a couple surprising <laughs> instances we've had a couple surprising instances of people that are supposed to be you know icons and legends within the community oh, yes. that have turned out to be just absolutely horrible wow uh, and and to the point that you know, if you tell anybody how horrible I am, we're going to ruin you. And you're just oh, like, yeah. golly, people. They're just, it's, you know, that, and that's another thing. We had we had already decided this year we were only doing like four or five conferences. And then this whole pandemic thing came along and yeah. canceled even more. So right now we've still got a couple we're doing uh, November and October. But we're really just kind of cutting back that side of it because, there's just a, it's, you know, the, 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 the word, the, the big it's foot drama. Difficult, there's yeah, it's a that. difficult community. I mean, um, Bill, you know, not to jump in on you, but I, I've talked about it recently uh, with people that, you know, my, 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 my point of view was this. I had another incident with a long-term adversary that used, was a friend originally and, I've got so many former friends that are now adversaries in this community, and I've just never experienced anything like it at all. Mm. Now, you know, um, I've only been really doing career cryptozoology since 2016. Before then, I worked, and for 30 plus years, I was a singer, songwriter, touring and playing music, and you know, since I was 12 years old, you know, doing all the the, the whole music scene, and that can mm. be very catty and very 
of duplicitous. Yeah. But yeah. I never experienced anything like I've experienced now in the music scene. And that's yeah. that's a real insult to cryptozoology. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I just thought, oh my goodness, I what now? And who's doing this? And um yeah. so much anger over divisions of opinion. And what I've I've come to the conclusion of is two things. One we're all big fish and it's a little pond. We've only got each other to eat. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, the second thing is that much of it is faith-based. And I know this mm-hmm. from studying religion, from being religious. And when you when you question somebody's theory, uh, often mm-hmm. what you realize with this like God-shaped hole we have in society, it's, it's actually formed a, a sort of a basis of faith about something. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. you question core belief, you question the individual's reality and that they yeah. can't, that's not acceptable. You know, so that's where right. some of the, um, and I've always been, uh, I'm British, you know, I'm polite, but unfortunately I've got my, my wife's habit of just naming the elephant in the room. And um, <laughs> because I'm polite, I think I, I don't meet people's expectations. They're saying, well, hang, hang on a second. I I thought I was stepping all over you and now you've just told me I'm an idiot. I, 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 yeah, I'm just, <laughs> I want to make a complaint. <laughs> I want to speak to the manager. It's so awesome. I, I and that is that. Put me in my place. That, that is that's one good thing uh, is it uh, is with uh, the the British uh, accent and everything you can you could sound very polite and just rip someone to shreds at the same time. I love it. They do. I mean, there is a, a talent for. I I grew up in Wales actually, and we're sort of an Irish English mixed family. And in England, in southern England where I live now, even Welsh people complain about how they'll politely dress you down uh, in a way that you can't come back against because yeah. all the small little quips are in such ambiguous language. And I always wondered, what is it about the British and the English especially that makes um, diplomatic insults so important? <laughs> and when you go around the country, you, it, they, there was a study recently where they found out that in each region in England and, and Scotland and Wales, there's very different accents throughout this tiny country or the comparatively small country. Mm-hmm. And they did a genetic study on, um, you know, skeletons and bones um, uh, from a thousand years ago and present day populations in those areas and found that the DNA, um, the DNA sequence was the same for the people in those areas as it was a thousand years ago, mm-hmm. primarily. And the people hadn't moved around. They'd stayed tribal and in their areas, primarily in their regions. And I thought that this is the reason we had so many invasions and so many different cultures moving in in former times that you had to be diplomatic and you couldn't just say what you thought because, you know, it would lead to a war with a neighboring yeah. tribe. And that's, that's very what, interesting. Yeah. Yep. And when you're taking over 54 countries around the world as well, again, the, the, some level of diplomacy is needed <laughs> because you've stolen their land. And um, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, you better bring some sort of administrative juncture uh, uh, into place. Look, I, we probably should end here, but I just want to say I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I will put all, all of your links up, but just for the people listening, where can they find you? Is there something specific that you're selling uh-huh. that you want to have or you want to know about? Yeah. Uh, first of all, you can find all three of our Bigfoot Trilogy documentaries on Amazon. The first, and they are available in the UK. The first two are on Amazon Prime, which means if you have Amazon Prime, they're streaming for free. The third one, the first one is Culture Bigfoot, second Paranormal Bigfoot. Third one just came out uh, is uh, Native Bigfoot, and it's rent and download at this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also go to our Facebook page, Bill Co Productions, Cultured Bigfoot, Paranormal Bigfoot, Native Bigfoot. And you'll find links in there where you can actually click on to our square site and you can order DVDs. Uh, You can actually order them singly or you can order all three of them. Now, the only thing is, is when it's going to the UK, it costs me about almost $15 to mail them to the UK. But I've actually got a friend over there that has bought every single one of our films and every time they come out, I send them right over to him, Bristol, England. We're in Bristol, Virginia. He's in Bristol, oh, England. Fantastic. Uh, no uh, Nigel, if you're out there, Nigel, this is a shout out to you, sir. Uh, his is currently stuck in London Heathrow somewhere for the last two months, though. But anyways, due to the virus. But uh, but yeah, just find us on uh, on Facebook, Bill Co. Productions with one L, or the name of the films, Cultured. 
paranormal, native Bigfoot, and on those it'll have links. Uh, but the easiest way to get us, it's a digital age, is just go to Amazon, type in Bilco Productions, type in any one of the film names. And like I said, the first two you can watch totally for free. Uh, and the third one you can rent and download right now. Uh, anyways, make sure and leave us a rating and review. Those are always important. Uh, we appreciate that. Um, share the word. But we appreciate doing stuff like this. And, and again, Andy happens to be one of those folks that we met randomly while doing this. Uh, you know, a couple years ago now, Andy, is it two, two or years three? Ago. Two, two years, years ago. ago. And we've yeah. maintained a friendship. Maybe it's because we live so far apart we've maintained a friendship. Yeah, absence makes the heart grow fonder, Bill. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So it but, could be uh, that. Uh, but I, I expect not. Well, listen, Bill Lancaster, it's been a, a real pleasure. I advise everybody, culture Bigfoot, native Bigfoot, paranormal Bigfoot, check them out, buy them, stream them. And um, and uh, keep Bill in business and Amy too, because they, they really deserve to be here. Bill, thanks so much. Thank you too, sir.